Hello and welcome to episode 405 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Caracino. And we're coming to you in separate locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champions, whose offices reside on 405. This week's episode from, I don't want to call it the 405, we're not in California, but when you are on 405, just past the curve, you could see that beautiful 12. I cannot believe it. We reached this episode. You didn't even imagine it would happen. You didn't even consider it. I I really episode. didn't even think about it until like I wrote down episode 405. Now, the funny thing is that like this is the first East Side edition. But the second East Side edition, we don't have to wait very long. We have talked about the 253 back in the day. It doesn't feel like three years ago. I guess it must have been the 253 episode. But... Uh, the the four two five episode is is coming up before too long, and the five oh nine episode right after that. No, the five oh nine episode. We're gonna have to bring on the famous cousin Katie as a special there guest for that go. one. There we go. Hello. So uh, you know what's funny? I don't know if we remember the one sixty nine episode, but to me, it's hilarious when you're a kid and distances are so different than when you're an adult. Right? Maybe you told the story the... on episode 169. I know you know you've told it on the podcast before. But but just going to the Italian picnic in Maple Valley, right? That yeah. was the longest drive of our entire lives. And the same to me, any time that I drove on the 405 freeway, I was going somewhere far away. Right? Even Renton to us as kids from Boulevard Park, the city of Renton was like a long distance that we were traveling. If we weren't going to SeaTac or Burien or Seattle, it was a journey. Right? <laughs> it was we had, a voyage. We had to pack luggage to <laughs> we, go we anywhere that guides. wasn't one of those two. <laughs> so, you, you know what I was reminiscing about the other day, though? Uh, that why was cool on our, our park of choice? That, that was what Jan always took us to. Not Elkai, which actually probably wasn't all that much closer to us, but is is now like, you know, that'd be the, if you're going to a beach, you're going to Elkai. You're not going to I Kulon. think it's because Jan went there as, kid, as a kid. Did she? To Kulon? There were stories of the... Um, but that definitely the, was our first exposure to 405. I remember mom always saying that we needed to like leave cool on early and we'd be so upset, but we had to beat the re- the Boeing traffic home. I mean, she, she was she wasn't wrong. She was ahead of the curve. <laughs> it's so hilarious that that all that time to me I was like 405 hardly know ye. Now to drive on the 405, literally whenever I basically have to go anywhere or whatever. It's wild how you can grow up. Life okay. comes at you fast. Okay, so there is God, what Lake Meridian Park. This is how different times were. Lake Meridian Beach, right? I drive by there pretty often. Uh Jan, our grandparents' generation, they would go and stay there for like the entire month of August at Lake Meridian Beach. Are you aware of this? This no, is where the I Italians have no would idea. go. And and like the 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 moms and the kids 
right? Because incomes used to be able to one income, just a working class job, support an entire family in these days. That's how long ago this was. With 10 to 15 they, children. They would no, literally, they were Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> we could actually come from a shockingly small Catholic family on Wob's side. Dad's so, side was a slightly different story. They would go to Lake Meridian Park get a house and stay there for like the entire month of August. And then the men come there on the weekend. Jan was telling us about this. We were driving over there. Uh, so they actually did pack luggage when going that distance. I assume that the roads were dirt at the time. They took a fucking horse and carriage. Now you wouldn't necessarily they got in their have to take and drove over there. You wouldn't necessarily have to take the four Oh five to get to Lake Meridian park. I suppose. Well, if you were Jan, you'd do whatever you could to not take 405. But, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you would take a route that would take significantly longer. It, it is an interesting progress what counts as like the vacation spot, because there was once a time before the advent of the West Seattle Bridge that Elkai was where the residents of the city of Seattle had all their summer homes. They'd come over to the island of West oh, Seattle yeah, and summer here. And now. I reside here year round. I'm wow, summer town, I all year round. Beach house living. Wow, what <laughs> luxury! What luxury you live in? Well, for I mean, me, I live I in such ever long, a Meridian long Park. distance away that you had to beat traffic when getting away from here. <laughs> well, you still have to beat traffic <laughs> when getting there. That hasn't changed. <laughs> anyway, this is not the four hundred five discussion I was expecting to have, but I've enjoyed it nonetheless. Out of the curve. So we'll like talk about famous notable athletes from the four two five on that episode. Oh, wait, we get to all right, I can't wait. I'm saving that one. Uh, did but almost it... no four oh five research. <laughs> I, I did years of research driving on four oh five. When you drove to your Kent Parks games? Oh man. I feel like we haven't also... really talked about your Kent Parks history that often. Are we, are we getting into it? <laughs> I we can. I mean, it was only we got nothing else to talk about. It was only, well, those are famous last words on this podcast. Uh, there was only one season of Kent Parks and Recreation Baseball that I played between my junior and senior years of high school, I want to say. I missed the 1999 draft where the Sonics drafted Corey Maggette and traded his rights to Orlando for Horace Grant. Uh, I believe I got two hits that season. Was you hit got by two pitch. hits or you got hit two times that season? Yes. <laughs> was hit by pitch twice. It's really just a just a target, uh, uh, and then walked more than two times. The OBP was solid. The slug not too great. <laughs> With your two singles the entire year, how many and, at bats do you think you had or plate appearances? I mean, it's probably an average of two, maybe three per game, and we probably played eight games. I want to say so. You know, somewhere in the low twenties. All right. So I mean, it wasn't like pathetic. How many hits you had? I mean, I was probably like. Let's guesstimate the stats at like two for 16 on the season. It was probably a solid 125 batty average. And I thought, obviously it was zero. Of those I thought you extra didn't bases. have a hit all season. So oh, the disrespect. Sorry. I I didn't know. Uh, defensively. used of that notion. Defensively, I believe I played every position but catcher, pitcher, and shortstop. I was supposed to play shortstop in the last inning of one of our games where we were getting blown out. But uh, our cousin David... <laughs> Took shortstop instead. <laughs> we stole shortstop from you? That's my recollection of it. That was, was also David... the night where I knocked down 16 mailboxes. <laughs> was that night? That was a... That was... What a wild summer that was. 
I think that was in Covington. I'm pretty sure it's where I did that. Also, when that happened, that that to me was like the farthest away place that that could have happened. Well, part of the reason is I got all turned around because there was road construction. And like I had to consult the Thomas guide beforehand to try to figure out what route I was taking <laughs> with the help of our grandfather. It wasn't like I was just punching it into you, my map. I love you did this journey in 1950. <laughs> you consulted the the Thomas guide? Oh, 100%. I would check oh, out the Thomas my God. guide. I mean, I think I, I have I told you this that uh, so our grandmother on our dad's side kept a diary for like basically her entire adult life. And one of the things that I found quite amazing that was in there is like all the time she would drive to some place the day before she had to go there in case she got lost so that like then she would know how to get there when she actually needed to. Which is the thing I did life do once really in my life. In those days, I I did do that for my my senior prom. I drove the to the place at? earlier. Uh, it was not for the prom. It was for the dinner, which was at uh, Maggie, not Maggie Bluffs. It's uh, the the fancy restaurant that's there in Magnolia. Oh, I've forgotten the name now. Now, uh, but it it still exists. This is very compelling. It's a palisade. Is the uh, the fancy restaurant that is right next to? Maggie. You drove all the way to Magnolia and back. Yeah. Oh my god. Also a voyage, and then like eventually, that's my daily commute. Within within ten years, that was my daily commute. So, I I don't, I don't know if the listener is enjoying this particular trip down memory lane, but here we are. Anything else on the Kent Park I, I, season? Oh no, it was so funny because I was ta- I brought it up this last weekend. We were talking about how basically like select baseball has replaced Little League Baseball or whatever. I think mm-hmm. Malcolm Gladwell mentioned that when he was talking about Little League Sports. And I was like, where does Kent Parks fit in all of this? What, I mean, is, I think it, what has it was, Kent Parks replaced? It was outside of each of those things. I think it, <laughs> no, is, it was, it was, was a, David, a lower scale of competition. Was David the ace pitcher of the Kent Parks team? Uh, I don't know if he was the ace pitcher. He was definitely one of like our two starters, as I recall it. He just rotated two starting pitchers. We had played once a week. I guess we only played eight games. There was a tournament in Tacoma that we went to. Speaking of traffic, we had this tournament in Tacoma and we had, they made us play. uh, I don't know if we got, I think we got rained out one day and then they made us play at like five o'clock on a Friday for the second game. And we had to forfeit because the other team managed to get eight players there in time. And our eighth player showed up like five minutes late for the game. Oh my God. Five minutes after they canceled it. So that was a real fun night. <laughs> I kind of remember one. that happened. It's so funny you did this. I didn't go to a single game. I didn't even consider going to a single game. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I don't. I literally do not think I attended a single one of these games. Wow. I remember going to your softball games when you worked for the Sonics. Or the storm, this well, asshole's Ballard sheet metal. Once the, that was the Sonics, and one of those games you ended up playing in and injured your shoulder. Sometimes I ended up playing. <laughs> I was mostly just there for the drinking in the crowd, though. There you go. Always the highlight, anyway. So there you go. Let us know, the listener, if you participated in Kent Parks and Recreation baseball. We do have the Fairwood <laughs> listener. They could have done it. All right, let's get into this week's toast, starting with the congratulations to UW softball coach Heather Tarr, who won her 800th career game on Saturday. Uh, we'll have more on the UW softball weekend to come. Uh, congrats to the Storm's Jade Melbourne, 
Mercedes, Mercedes Russell and Sammy Whitcomb, all of whom made the all WNBL teams announced last weekend, Melbourne and Melbourne and Russell <laughs> were part it. of the first team with a Whitcomb on the second team. We're supposed to overpronounce this. <laughs> I, I know, Melbourne. but it's when you're reading it, it's so hard. Is it? It's, if I'm like talking, I can be conscious of it. But when I'm reading, it's a totally different thing. And I'm about to mispronounce some other things later in this pod. I, I guarantee it. Can't wait. Uh, Farewell to Seahawks legend lastly this week, Mike Davis, who announced his retirement after eight NFL seasons. Nailed it. Nailed the pronunciation. <laughs> Thanks. Davis spent 2017 and 2018 with the Seahawks, starting eight games, finishing second on the team with 514 yards and two touchdowns in 2018. Love Mike Davis. My name is oh, Mike yeah. Dean. I get respect. Uh, also, also I remember when he signed with the Falcons and somebody was like, fantasy sleeper, Mike Davis. And I was just like, Hell yeah, he's a fantasy sleeper. They were like, he's going to lead the league in rushing or whatever. And I was like, easily, confidently, <laughs> Mike Davis. I mean, he did have a pretty monster fantasy season in Carolina after they traded uh, McCaffrey, right? Or was that, was he just, in, I guess McCaffrey was just injured that season. I don't know. One of the I don't two. think it was after they traded him. That was, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> that was the team that beat the Seahawks like two years ago. Uh, let's see. That was 2020 where Mike Davis had 642 yards and six touchdowns in Carolina, but I need that broken out by game by game. <laughs> not, not that great. Uh, he did not play in the NFL last season. So perhaps not a, not a tremendous surprise that, uh, he announced his retirement. Yeah, I guess he didn't have any really big games that season. Hmm. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I always liked Mike Davis, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was one of the many great rotating running backs that didn't matter. With that, let's get into our search for Seattle's best cookie, which took us to a pair of locations this week, which you knocked out in one trip. Uh, Midnight Cookie Company in Chikorina Pastries. Let's start with Midnight, which has six locations in the Seattle area. It was opened by a pair of Gonzaga grads in 2017. Uh, most locations are, according fitting the name, open until midnight. In the Fremont flagship, their original location, open until 1 a.m. So they're cornering the market on the late night cookie crowd. Had you you had not had midnight before, had you? I don't think I'd ever even heard of it. I had them one time for sure. The name sounded mildly familiar when I read the basically the shtick or whatever. I was like, oh, okay, this is like that TV show at midnight. Um, I was like, I get it. I get what's going on here. Uh, but otherwise, no, I, 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 you know what, once I went to, the, I went to the Pacific Place location, and when I was there, and I saw where it was at, I was like, oh, I've definitely seen this before, and I don't think I got a cookie when I went there, but I definitely considered getting a cookie. I just don't think I knew exactly what it was, but I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, if you're walking by that spot at uh, Pacific Place, unless you have specifically eaten dessert somewhere else, you're going to consider getting a cookie. It's for question. the paying for your parking crowd. Yeah. Literally, I, I drove into Pacific Place. I was like running a little bit late. It was a Sunday, so I was like, eh, chance of street parking. Uh, and But I was just like, it's gross outside. It's windy. I need to get back home pretty fast. I pulled into the Pacific Place, parked right by the elevator, got on the elevator. Take, take your ticket with you. Got on the elevator, went up one floor, got a cookie, turned right back to the terminal, paid, and then went back down. There you go. That's, that's what we did as well, yes? 
It did so, make me pay though at the at the terminal because I was there just for missed. such a short period of time. How short is is it? Ten minutes? Okay, That's I'm what, telling you, it was like it was fast that process, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm leaving. All right, what did you try at midnight? Uh, so I had the chocolate chip cookie, which to me, if there's a chocolate chip cookie, I'm probably going to get that basically anywhere. It uh, is definitely the control cookie. You had told me that the fruity pebbles was your favorite of the yep. cookies that you had before. Uh, so I got a fruity pebbles, red velvet that kind of appealed to me. And then I was kind enough. The person who was working there shouts to them. They said, have you tried the s'mores cookie before they could see that I was eyeing it? Cause to me, that was the number four cookie. Uh, and they, and I was like, no. And they were like, here you go. Added a s'mores cookie on top. So I definitely appreciated that aspect. What was the description you gave to me? Of the, I, said, me that was, I said, I, I, well, I asked you if you got a free cookie and you said no. And no. I said, I knew I was looking hot that day. <laughs> Hair's freshly dyed, looking like Alex Roldan meets Leo Messi. I mean, come on. And my Adidas track pants on. I mean, Kellen Rowe meets Leo Messi? I heard that Alex Roldan looks like me too now. Oh, interesting. Well, you're just all over the, the map soccer-wise. Uh, so Megan had... Rapinoe sometimes also. <laughs> I had three of those four cookies, depending on what color your hair is. Now. Three of those four cookies, uh, all but the red velvet. So what, what was your takeaway? You know, I wanted to have the Shikarina and Midnight because I think it's really nice having these cookies with basically like a, an instant comparison yep. to be like, what is better? And I'm excited to talk about Shikarina. So it's almost hard for me to talk about each without going into each of them. Can we All talk right, about both the locations? Go, go yeah, into Shikarina then? Let's talk about both. Let's give the background of both the locations, then get into the cookies. Makes sense. Uh, so Shikarina was opened in 2020 by Hannah Johannes, an alumna of the Pastry Project, a Seattle program that provides free baking and pastry training program to individuals with barriers to employment in the industry. Uh, the name Shikarina means sweetness in Johannes's native language in Eritrea, Tigrinya. Uh, they just moved from the central district to Capitol Hill with the grand reopening on Sunday. So we, we both managed to get cookies from there at the grand reopening, which is very exciting. So timely to discuss it. Be sure to check out the new location. Uh, I had never had a cookie from there before, but I did have a cupcake from Shikarina at the Doug Baldwin Jr. Community Barbecue in 2022. I, yeah, I feel like I remember seeing these pop the Pop-Tart looking. I don't think I'd I mean, been we there followed before. Them on, we followed them on Instagram since at least that that community barbecue and, and okay, maybe may, before maybe that, that. that was why so but yeah i had never made it out to that i i still have not made it out to the physical location it's like i received cookies that were brought to me but uh uh what did you have there and in thoughts on the new location i guess uh it was literally like the first hours like minutes that the new location was open um so you know it's still coming together but i so i got four chocolate chip cookies and then i can't remember what the description of the snickerdoodle was but also a snickerdoodle with a a descripting word in front of it um and so i i had the shikarina cookie and i had the midnight cookie right next to each other and i could tell looking at them i was like these are honestly two different types of cookies correct and i think that i had the shikarina cookie first and i was like This is a goddamn revelation right here, this Shikarina cookie. And I was like, I want to make sure I, I need to confirm it, right? 
It's like you hear a song, right? You're like, that's pretty sick, but do I love it tomorrow? Do I love it in the, in the car or whatever? Like, is this going to be huge? And so I took a bite right after that of the midnight chocolate chip cookie. And I was like, we are not having the same conversation here, people, between these two cookies. Midnight cookies, no, no offense to the midnight cookies. They are fine cookies. They serve a purpose, but they're thinner. It's really hard with a thinner cookie to get that warm gooiness in the inside. And I, I get that they serve a purpose. I thought that they were good, but like in conversation for Seattle's best cookie, they are not. Shikarina, on the other hand, the thing that stood out to me was two pieces from the chocolate chip cookie. The buttery flavor. And, and at first I was like, oh... I was like, oh, am I getting like a strong buttery flavor? Like you kind of want that. It's one of those things when a, a flavor, sometimes like salt will stand out on something. You're like, I like the flavor of this, but the salt pushes it forward. And I think that's what the butter did in this cookie. It shoved the flavor forward. But also in the middle was the chocolate chips that they're a little bit, it's a darker chocolate chip. It's a different flavor of chocolate chip. It's not the same traditional milk chocolate that you've tasted everywhere else. And there's a lot of it right in the middle. So when it's soft, it's a little bit melted. And to me, it kind of split the difference between Hello Robin, which are smaller cookies, and Treat, which are like monster cookies, right? This was right in between the two, but the soft, warm gooiness, it was a little crunchy on the outside, a little crispy on the outside, warm on the inside. To me, this is the number one cookie in Seattle as of this moment. It's only out of three so far, but this wow. is the number one cookie in Seattle. That's interesting. I didn't necessarily get that in terms of the... You didn't have it fresh. That's why I asked if you had it fresh. I mean, it was like an hour after it was picked up, a half hour maybe. I, I don't know exactly how much time period. It wasn't like I ate it like the next day. Although I did eat a piece of a leftover one today and it was still quite good. I did the same thing. Late late last night, there, there was two, one and a half of them and I went in and that to me is always the sign of like do i really love this am i gonna go at like midnight and am i am i gonna eat all the cookies am i gonna eat a cookie or am i Whoa. gonna eat all the cookies and this time there was one and a half cookies and after that there were zero cookies so well, so i had two uh i got two cookies i had the chocolate chip and then also they have a burberry cookie which is a large walnut cookie with a spicy oh, burberry caramel. Oh, that's why I caramel. didn't have that because it had wal walnuts in it. Okay. it. That is. And so burberry is a, a spice mix from East Africa. Uh, and it was almost like a jam center. We haven't really talked about any stuffed or filled cookies yet in the search. Uh, I don't like those as much as I like filled donuts. But this was really fascinating because of the fact that the filling provided such a different flavor. You know, it was more, a little more savory, a little, you know, a little tiny bit spicy, not, yeah. uh, not overwhelming spice to any degree. But that was, that was quite an outstanding contrast to the chocolate chip. I, what I was saying though is I didn't get the, I didn't feel like there was chocolate chips in the center disproportionately, the way you're saying that. That's what it I was associate like that for basically every cookie I had though. That's interesting. That's what Other I associate with the cookie from Met Market. And then also, you know, in my memory, uh, the specialties cookie back in the day. So that's like a high, that's a seal oh, of honor yeah. to me. Oh yeah. Try try it again. I love the flex of chocolate, chocolate chip throughout it too. Right. It wasn't like cookie and then chocolate chip in it. It was like spread throughout the entire cookie somehow. Little, little specks of chocolate chips. 
but I, uh, the butteriness, butteriness was was definitely a positive, as you were saying. To me, it kind of texture wise reminded me a little bit of like the cookies that you will bake at home when you kind of try to undercook them. But uh, you know, obviously, of a higher quality than a frozen cookie is going to be. Wow. So, I, I mean, to me, it's it's right there. It's it's a strong contender. I I would I don't know if I'd go ahead of Hello Robin, but I also want to try them potentially head to head at some point I... as we bracket things out. We, I, I mean, I don't know if we'll try those exact two head to head. We will be trying this head to head with something though, and it was really hard for me to imagine a cookie that I'm more excited about than this one because I went in with literally no knowledge about what was going on. I saw them and I was like, "This feels like a waste of time to me." <laughs> at first, I, no. I just, I was like, "They look fine," but then this, this snickerdoodle, honestly, it was exactly the same. That that little bit of crunchiness on the outside, it was a little bit of a fatter one. The snickerdoodle soft and gooey on the inside i thought they were cooked deftly um i had deftly, a, co I like a coffee from there they had the uh, uh uh taco time ice machine so there was a bunch of the little tiny chip ice uh little tiny cube ice thought that was great also i mean that's the interesting thing about this is you you mentioned the the pop tarts that are very instagrammable i didn't really associate shikarita with cookies i they were they were not on the list last week that I mentioned, and it was only when I saw the grand reopening and went to go check out the menu that I was like, hey, we definitely need to add this to the list. So, like, you know, they're they're more than a, a cookie company, but they're still making outstanding cookies. And, you know, that's a very, very exciting thing to say. I, I, mean, I hope things are going well for them at that new location. I'm going to be back there on Wednesday for Numo's 20th anniversary party. Uh, which are you going to that? By the way, I I was not invited until just no, now. You're you're invited. There you are. Done. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll uh, follow up on that one offline. Maybe you could drive Jan for me. Actually, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, we, we can do the logistics offline. But I'll, unless I'll, we I'll, want to talk about driving at 405. <laughs> no, there's hopefully there should be any 405 driving to it. It won't be for you. Uh there might be. You know me. I I always love to drive through the West Side though. I can't. I don't, I don't like to go through the east side. Any chance I have to drive on 599, I am taking 599. Yeah, but how, you, you know how you get to 599 from your house. Oh, you're saying 405. Yes. No, I definitely will be driving on 405 yeah. for a period of time. That's what you were saying earlier, that every time you leave your house, basically, to go outside your neighborhood, you're going on 405. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'll get you a VIP invite. Nice. There you go. Well, Boom. Done. Hopefully, All now you have to do that is bring Jan. They've got the. That's a, that's not, a you're like, not worth it. <laughs> Free food and drinks is not worth it. <laughs> Hopefully, the Pelton cast bump will help out Shikarina. I to go back to midnight for a second. I I think the thinness is a really key point. There, it's also a drier cookie, which I think you know if you're uh, a location that maybe ships a lot of your cookies in addition to selling them fresh, I think that helps them maintain their consistency a little bit longer than, you know, uh, something like the cookie or, or treat where I think it is a little more time sensitive. I would I say, don't know. was it a sea salt chocolate chip or was it a, just a chocolate chip? Cause to me, I need some of that sea salt. On I don't my believe there chips. was, there was sea salt. The, the Mark actually, I think some of the best like grocery store cookies, they've recently started having uh sea salt chocolate chip cookies at Trader Joe's. In little three packs, and I oh. I got them because I was prompt like, you Trader Bros. 
I, honestly, normally if I see cookies like that, I'm like, that is going to be hard as hell trash. Like, that is not for me or whatever. I'm like, that looks crispy as fuck. That is 1980s cookie. There ain't going to be no chips ahoy in this house, right? But I saw I saw those at Trader Joe's and I was like, this is intriguing. And it's one of those things that I got them one time and I was like, I'm going to get those. All, as long as we're not in the middle of a search for Seattle's best cookie when there's a lot of cookies. So many cookies. You know how one cookie turns into... Uh, but like that, that all- is the other thing I didn't say about Chikorina. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a couple bites of each of these because I'm about to go eat little Woody's burger of the week. Uh, and instead I housed both of them in like that's, five that's minutes. That's what I'm saying. But you didn't, did you do the same with midnight? No. I, I think, I think these cookies might be a, again, it was a surprise. But midnight to me, the thing it reminded me the most of was milk bar cookies. Oh which yeah, I've, which are not like they're fine. They're they not the staple for milk bar, but uh, but also th- there's there's an element of those those are the pieces right there. That's how you really tell us something special is if there if it's leftover late at night and you're like I need to eat this. Am I going to eat it all? Like is it does it speak to you? Right? Does it call to you like Sauron's voice through the ring? And I'm watching Lord of the Rings right now. <laughs> Every reference is going to be to the Lord of the Rings. Oh, <laughs> Um, somehow a Luke Ridenour Frodo reference is coming yeah. later in this fight. Anyway, the two cookies were like the two towers. Um, but it does it call to you when it's there? If you start it, are you going to be able to stop eating it? Right? Yeah. And I feel like to me that's what it has. And okay, here, here's the last piece. I lost my let's start thinking about Lord of the Rings. The last piece is. If you're by that location, will you almost 100% of the time get that item? Right. Because there's certain locations where I'm like, if I'm if I'm near a Dix and it is, I am at all po- able to stop and get Dix, I'm getting Dix. Literally no questions asked. If I'm near Tat's Delicatessen, I'm going into Tat's Delicatessen. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, a lot of times if I'm near a Pagliacci, if I'm in West Seattle, and I'm near Dojoy, Dojoy, a little bit, a little bit longer of a, an experience to just pop into. Also, but, not in West Seattle. Come on, where you at, Dojoy? All over the 405. Get scared. out here. It's the only business that isn't scared to be in. Right. <laughs> Get out um, here to, to summer home country. If I'm if I'm near Dojoy, I'm going to Dojoy, right? Yeah. And same with Pagliacci right there right there in your west seattle beautiful beautiful location to have those two right next to each other if i'm near chigarina oh, what a like Sunday. this 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 wednesday being there i'm like i'm definitely going it's right down the street from where i'm going to be if they have those cookies when Are i get there i am i think so i'm going to be there pretty early i'm going to be there for load in gotcha um, all right we'll see me coming la- later with jan um, <laughs> but like i i'm going to go there and for, for the midnight cookies, if I'm paying for my parking at Pacific Place, I literally Ooh. cannot imagine a situation. Ooh, updated hours. This says Google says closed Wednesday, although I feel like the the websites had open, not open again until Wednesday. So TBD on that one. Well, I'll walk over either way. It doesn't yeah. change my plans. But if if I'm there at Pacific Place, I'm paying for parking. I'm not necessarily gonna get a midnight cookie. Honestly. Hello Robin is right. It's right in between. I will say. I think Hello Robin is much closer to the every time to me. Yeah. 
you're probably right. I think Heller Robin is in every time. And treat, treat. If I'm in Birian, if I'm going to go visit Dan the mechanic in Birian, I'm definitely going down the street to treat. Well, we'll be discussing that at some point. Uh, I don't know if we have anything specific we want to to plan to get Do to. Do you feel that way about Met Market though? Oh yeah. If you're going into Met Market or if you'd go buy a Met Market? Uh, I mean, I go buy a Met Market a lot. I I mean, I guess it, it's just because to some degree it depends how often you go buy these places. Like if you were having a cookie from the Met Market every day, at some point it might become <laughs> a health concern. Sure. <laughs> I have definitely restricted. I, I don't love dicks any less. I'm not going there as often as I did back in my college days. When I used to go there like every Friday on my way back from the Sonics offices. I su- I suppose that's a that that can be a qualifier. If you don't like I I mean I, I Taco Time doesn't speak to me in that way. Taco Time is a place of convenience. But I'm trying to think of places that are near me that are like that. There really aren't any. <laughs> the cheap chicken Monday. <laughs> I'm there every time. <laughs> Every Monday, I'm there for cheap chicken. I don't get the cheap chicken, but I'm there. I'm just there for the sign. All right. Well, <laughs> real, real Fairwood, Washington, Safeway heads know what's up. <laughs> Shouts again to the Fairwood listener. Uh, I may be in search of some cookies in Boston this weekend when I'm there. Wow. That's always a fun part of traveling during the searches. We have this time of year where you go to Boston and I go to Austin in like a like three week period, and then we right. get to go eat foreign foreign food, foreign yes. versions of of what we're eating. That's pretty fun. I look forward to. It. I'm also going to L.A. next week. But do they have any cookies in L.A.? I just, we'll find out. TBD. Well, as I referenced earlier, Lil Woody's Seattle Burger Month it concludes this week. With the Nadia from Taylor Shaney of Yala, featuring a grilled halal beef kefta patty, tahini and lemon garlic aioli, pickled, pickled cucumbers, cabbage salad, and Yala's fermented hot sauce on a Ben's bread brioche bun. Which is a lot of bees. Real, real tongue twister there. My burger is named after my cooking mentor. The inspiration is from a famous street food called kefta arayas. Also in Egypt, it is called hawashi, and it is one of our favorites and our customers' favorites in our store. The accompaniments are a fun way to incorporate some of the amazing pickles and ferments in the Middle East, just like their purple cabbage salad, spiky, spicy cucumbers, and chili paste. The tahini tomb is a fun, just a fun way to mesh two of the most popular sauces that our customers and many of Americans here have loved so much. When it comes to a burger, lots of pickles and spicy accompaniments accompaniments make it the best for me a good bun is important too and i think we have that in beds ben's bread they make a delicious one my cooking style is usually a lot of salt acid and heat this burger represents all of those salt acid and heat what more could you ask for that that's sure I, I think there'll be plenty of that though so this is i'm excited to try this one uh, I posted on Instagram. I thought last week's for the the panchita tostada crunch. I thought that was my number one so far. Wow. Okay. I was a little weary when I saw that they when I realized that they had ketchup on there with a tostada, which seemed like a strange mix. But you know what? Damn if it didn't work. All right. And I I also enjoyed more than I expected. Pickled jalapenos were quite delicious. Whoa. Yeah. ESPN senior writer Kevin Pelton. 
enjoyed a pickled thing? I know. There's a first time for everything. The times they are changing. You told me earlier you've been going to Trader Joe's more often. I have. You liked a pickled thing? Wow. I'm still not going to eat the pickles in this week. Wait, really? The classic standard pickled cucumbers. I liked the pickled jalapenos. I still don't like cucumber in any form. And you don't like cucumber in any form? Absolutely not. Oh. Did we complain? Did I complain to you about this like two weeks ago? Do we have this exact conversation? Uh, not cucumber specifically, but Just probably pick- pickled things. Pickled things, but I think I feel like you've gone too far. Cucumbers are so they're so wet. That's exactly what I said. I don't they're recall you saying that word, that phrase. They, they are flavorless and and so fresh. I can't even check the AI transcript. <laughs> In like two years, you're going to be talking about how great pickled things are. I know exactly how this works. I don't know if I'm going to get there on that one. I don't know about that one. Well, it is so funny how this search, I love doing these searches. The spring, the spring dessert search is such an essential part of the It has to be a dessert. Okay, fine. But the spring search, I just, I feel so invigorated by it. You do? We're we're learning things. To me, the, the chicken search. When we learned, I couldn't have told you that I love chicken thighs. And all of a sudden, I'm like, but the thing about loving the chicken thigh is nobody else loves chicken thighs. It's like. I think some like other people love chicken thighs. Other people do, but you have to be like, it's like the next level of liking fried chicken. Most everybody else is the the legs, wings, breast. I feel like the like most popular. Well, there's a reason you have to special request it at our our number one chicken place. I mean, food mine. it's it's kind of wild though, right? Like after that search, I didn't know that I liked cookies before the search. <laughs> I my flavor, my palate's only could develop so much on cookies. I've I've done a lot of searching, including part of an uh, in uh, abandoned search on the Felton Cast. But uh, we're not going to abandon this one, and we're also not going to abandon our next segment, which is Coach's Corner. I really wish I had a coach's corner this week, but it was I it was such a workmanlike Spurs domination that we had this weekend. Wow! And uh, yeah, no, I, I honestly it was happening. Literally, it actually felt like as close to a professional game as you can have with first graders. And we just showed up. We were polished on point. They no passed one the ball. Got ejected. No ejections. No behavior issues at all. We showed up. We dominated the game. I was able to uh, bring in... I ch- I changed the lineups. This is how close to a professional game it was. We were up by enough points. Again, they don't keep score. But we knew that we were up by enough points that I was able to, for the fourth quarter, be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some kids extra quarters that don't play that often in this fourth quarter. So it was great. We are, we are a freaking well-oiled machine. I'm out there. There were some moments that the kids were passing the ball around where I was like, hot damn, if that doesn't look like basketball. Nice. Yeah, they were throwing bounce passes. I was shocked. And and when we play these other teams, they're always trying to lob the ball over everybody. And the number one thing that I hate is when kids just throw it up and try to get it over every child. And I'm like, the chances of that pass being completed are one in a thousand. Every time those passes are thrown, I'm like, we have to steal these passes because that's the only time you could get a steal in first grade basketball. We have a lot of kids who are aggressive to steal those passes. And we stole like 60% of them. There you go. So. How many kids do you have left? <sighs> Probably 
Let me look at the calendar here. I think two? No, more than that. Okay. Because I still haven't made it out to a three. game yet. I'm There's still three games. Tail. I think this weekend is probably... I'm missing the last game because I'm going to be in Texas. Well, I'm not going to be in Seattle this weekend, so I will not oh, be at that. Well, there you go. March 9th is the date. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get into the roundup, starting with the Mariners, who are playing games in spring training. Spring is coming. Uh, oh, they drew... and what a beautiful spring day it was in Seattle today. <laughs> we had like one, maybe two nice days of spring. Last Thursday, though, it was like legitimately warm out. I told Marco, I was like, he was asking for a Slurpee today. I swear to God, this child. And I was like, you have to save the Slurpee. Not because Slurpees aren't good in any weather. I'll accept that. But when you get that first warm day of the year, that first spring day of the year, you need to do it up as big as possible. And getting your first Slurpee of the year when that happens is going to push that day forward. So I was telling him about how there's some things that you like attach to certain things, and that makes those things even better because you only get it in those moments. And what did he respond to that? He said, can we go get a Slurpee? And I was like... <laughs> That sounds about right. All right, the Mariners threw seven plus no hit on innings on Monday against the Reds in their first win of spring training. Game started by Luis Castillo with Austin Voth also pitching two innings in relief. Uh, Julio Rodriguez has yet to play due to inflammation on the back of his left hand and not swinging a bat. Scott Service told reporters on Monday that uh, he expects Julio back in the lineup later this week uh, or by the weekend. Gregory Santos was cleared to bring in his throwing progression starting Tuesday. No update from Service on Matt Brash, who felt soreness after last Tuesday's bullpen session and was shut down. Seattle Kraken beat Vancouver 5-2. Wait, did you mention Austin Voth? Shots to Kenwood High School. Not quite the 405, but close enough. He definitely oh. tried drove on the 405. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I Seattle almost, uh, didn't get my shots to Kenwood High School in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Seattle Kraken beat Vancouver 5-2 in an impressive performance on Thursday, then lost by the same scoreline in Minnesota, the most goals they've allowed since January 16th, with Chris Drieger getting pulled for the first time as a starter. Uh, Philip Grubauer then started again Monday against Boston as the Kraken won via shootout, with Gruby stopping all three penalties against him and Kyler Yamamoto netting the lone shootout goal. Homestand extends to Thursday against Pittsburgh, Saturday against Edmonton before the Kraken head out on the road next week to face Calgary and Winnipeg. Seattle Sounders opened the season last Saturday at LAFC, and they did so shorthanded without midfielders Joao Paulo and Albert Rushnak, defender Gaimar Gomez-Andrade, and goalkeeper Stefan Fry. Uh, without Rushnak, who suffered an ankle injury in training uh, just before the team left, they shifted to a 4-4-2 with Rel Reed Diaz starting up top alongside Jordan Morris. Give the opening goal just before halftime and a second in the 55th before making extensive changes, including Pedro De La Vega coming on to make his Sounders debut. He converted a penalty won by Morris in the 72nd to offer uh, the Sounders a lifeline, but they could not find the equalizer in this one. But, you know, a very difficult matchup at LAFC, you know, probably the other best team in the Western Conference without four starters. Uh, a situation where even scratchy out a draw would have been a tremendous outcome for the Sounders. They're back home Saturday to face Austin FC, which finished 12th in the West last season after a second place finish in 2023. Austin lost 2-1 at home to Minnesota in their season opener. 
Moving along to the Huskies, uh, softball lost 7-0 to number 8 Oklahoma State in the opener of the South Florida Showdown last weekend, dropping to 0-2 this season against teams from the state of Oklahoma, undefeated from teams against teams from all 49 other states. Ruby Malin did not take the circle in that one as Lindsay Lopez started allowing three runs in four and a third innings before giving way to freshman uh, Sidney Peters. Huskies managed just two hits and Oklahoma State faced only one more batter than the minimum. Huskies bounced back for a 2-1 win over host South Florida with Malin pitching, then easily swept Pitt and Loyola Chicago on Friday with Brooke Nelson no-hitting Loyola before finishing the weekend by run-ruling Yale on Saturday. Huskies headed back to the West Coast this week for the Jane Sanders Classic in Eugene. They'll face another future Big Ten foe in Maryland, as well as number 11 Florida State, plus a pair of games against Mount St. Mary's. UW women's basketball, a pair of wins last weekend against the Oregon schools, much needed. Uh, On Friday, they entered the fourth quarter tied with Oregon at 48, trailed with 6.54 left before going on an 11-2 run to take control. Lauren Schwartz had 17 to lead four Huskies in double figures. Then on Sunday's senior day, they took down a top 10 foe in Oregon State, which was playing a third consecutive game without star post player Reagan Beers. L. Dean was the standout of this one with 23 points on 8 of 13 shooting, one shy of her career high. The Huskies defense held the Beavers to 35% from the field. Uh, Lauren Schwartz was honored pregame along with Nia Lowry, who medically retired earlier this season. But uh, the biggest win at home, certainly so far this season for UW. The Huskies closed the Pac-12 schedule at the Mountain Schools, both ranked in the top 20 and tied for fifth in the conference standings at 10 and 6. Number 13, Colorado, hasn't lost to an unranked opponent all season. Uh, they beat LSU in the season opener, but Monday's matchup with number 8 UCLA was their fifth consecutive loss when facing a ranked opponent, including each of the last four games. Utah, by contrast, moving up after starting conference play 1-3. The Utes beat the Buffs by one at home in a thriller two weeks ago, then one at number 7 USC on Sunday. So are, are these, I mean, they're probably must-win games. Obviously, the victory over Oregon State is huge, getting a win like that, you know, the sweep this last weekend, getting things a little bit back on track for uh, the Husky women. But are these, are, is there any chance of an at-large bid right now? I think there's a chance. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to win the Pac-12 tournament to get in, but they definitely need one more win over a ranked opponent to just like get into the conversation on the bubble. No, and, winning one of these would be huge. Winning both would be massive. Oh yeah, both would like completely change the season. But it's it's either one of these or you know in the Pac-12 tournament, uh, the way things set up right now, Huskies likely. You know, if they lose both of these games, I think they are they are guaranteed to be the number ten seed going into the Pac-12 tournament, uh, and then they'd face Arizona in the first round, and you'd have to beat Arizona, which is currently a you know another bubble team, uh, and then pull an upset in your second game as well, and then you you have a chance. But I don't think it's necessarily that they have to win the Pac-12 tournament, but they you know, need a couple more good wins. They probably, they might need two wins in the Pac-12 tournament unless they sweep this weekend. So it's just like the Oregon State game at least made it a conversation again. And it's exciting just to be able to follow it going into, 
you know, the Pac-12 tournament and know that there's something to play for beyond just like a miraculous run where you take down, presumably to win the entire thing, you need to take down three teams ranked in the top 20. Yeah, no, it's, it's, they have almost no chance of winning the Pac-12 tournament. But could but... they win one game? I mean, you know, let's say that they end up finishing, I guess it'd be 10th that they, yeah, that they most likely slot into. And, you know, then you'd potentially face either USC or Oregon State are your potential opponents in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament in the quarterfinals. And those are teams that they've already beaten this season. Also very wild that 10th in the Pac-12 has a chance of an at-large bid. Yeah, I mean, it's testament both to the depth of the Pac-12 and then, you know, the fact that the Huskies were so good in non-conference play. That's what separates them from Arizona, which is two games ahead of them in the standings, had a couple of upsets last weekend, and still, uh, you know, doesn't really, f- is is also in kind of that distant, not in the next four out range in terms of bracketology. And speaking of Arizona. Oh, the Husky met. Yeah. Well, yes, the uh, UW men uh, led by 21 at halftime on Thursday at Arizona State by 25 with 18 minutes left and then needed overtime to complete their season sweep for the Sun Devils. As we debated in the uh, the Discord, just whether the chances of losing that game and giving up the lead would mean the possibility of an in-season coaching change, which for the record, I, I think there's almost no chance of. Uh, Huskies went three of six on free throws in the final minute, gave up the tying layup with seven seconds left, then missed two chances to win it in regulation. But in overtime, two Braxton Mia free throws gave the Huskies a two-point lead with 32 seconds left, and they held on with Arizona State missing twice in the closing seconds. Both, I think, makeable shots, too. The one oh, that yeah. like probably should have gone in. They, they got out of there by the skin of their teeth, for sure. Uh, Saturday... At Arizona, in a game that was inexplicably on CBS. They were never really in it. Trailed 17-7 early, 42-21 late in the first half before a 10-0 run to make it respectable. They did get within nine midway through the second half at 69-60, but uh, no closer in an eventual 91-75 loss. Uh, Corin Johnson led the way with 17 off the bench. Nate Kelmese had 15. It was kind of interesting to see the young backup guards get more minutes in this one. And, you know, the starting seniors, Severe Wheeler and Paul Mulcahy, get a little bit less playing time, maybe to some degree a concession that, look, who knows what the future is going to look like in, for UW men's basketball. Who knows what it's going to look like for any team with the degree of transferring. But these are guys who potentially are bigger parts of the future are parts of the future. And obviously severe Wheeler and Paul McKay, are not. Uh, we did learn last week, Frank Kepnong officially out for the season. Mike Hopkins said he could <laughs> seek a medical redshirt for this season in a six year of eligibility. Why Frank Kepnong would want that is not entirely clear to me. Maybe he was talking about Mike Hopkins. <clears throat> Uh, Huskies back at home to close out their home schedule against the L.A. schools this weekend. On Thursday, it's UCLA, who's righted the ship a bit after the four-game losing streak early in conference play that concluded in a 46-point loss at Utah before the Bruins beat UW at home. That win started a stretch of eight and nine games with the only loss coming at Arizona, but the Bruins have then since lost their last two at home to Utah and USC. Uh, They are outstanding defensively, but last in the Pac-12 in points per possession. It's another national TV game, a Saturday matinee for senior day against USC. The only time these two teams will meet this season, uh, at least during the regular season. Uh, 
four starters playing their last college home games. Keon Brooks Jr., Mulcahy, Severe Wheeler, Moses Wood. Trojans were expected to be Pac-12 contenders this season, but they started the year 18-3, and have won two of their last three, sandwiched around a double OT loss to Colorado. Guard Isaiah Collier, number one in our draft, top 100 early in the season. Still a lottery prospect despite an injury-marred year where he shot just 31% on threes. Ronnie James, who was cleared to return in December in one of the season's happier stories, after suffering cardiac arrest during a summer workout, has started six games. He's shooting 27.5% beyond the arc. So this is not a strength for the Trojans. You know there who my go. team is? USC? Nope. Whoever's playing Gonzaga? Not, not them. You said who you adopted, but then I immediately forgot it. In a twist of fate, it is the Washington State Cougars. Oh, that's right. Let's go, Cougs! You can't tell me you're not excited about this Coug run that they're having in the last year of the Pac-12. It is, uh, look, allegiances are a complicated thing right now, but if you asked me what I cared about more in this moment in college basketball, I would definitely say the Cougs than the University of Washington men's basketball team. They're I mean, in. I just pulled up bracketology. Yeah. They're number seven seed out of two Pac-12 teams that are in right now. If you added the Pac-12 total to the current Big Ten total, you still wouldn't get as many teams in the tournament as the Big 12 has. <laughs> and of course, one of those Pac-12 teams, neither of those Pac-12 teams are going to the One Big is going 10. to the Big 12. One is one going is... to the Big 10. Well, and yeah. also the other one, presumably Mountain West, where they already have six teams in. Well, it is going you know to where be... they're going next year. Where are they going next year? We've talked about this. West Coast? West Coast Conference, where they're There's going to be rivals with that last four in Gonzaga. That is so wild. And that's what? all the more reason to cheer for Wazoo. If, if they Washington go to the West, the West Coast, Coast Conference, Conference and fuck shit up for Gonzaga, oh my God, how who, glorious it would be. Who did not schedule them this season. I mean, I don't know that that was 100% on Gonzaga, but... Is uh, the plan for... The, the plan is for UW and Wazoo to also play each other in basketball. You'd hope uh, so there was no, no commitments. Nobody has talked about that publicly. I assume that'll happen. They've, they've not announced anything for sure. They've it's not just given basketball it's so much easier to do something similar to what they're doing with Gonzaga, where it just goes back to a annual back and forth home and home. One would think. One would think. Uh, but yeah, the, the Cougs did not follow up their win at Arizona on Thursday oh. night in impressive fashion. They then lost to Arizona State on saturday i was bummed to see that but yeah the four-point play to beat arizona come on how do you not get behind the cougs right now i was it was thrilling stuff it was great. it's so funny i feel like how other people feel about gonzaga where they're like well they're in our state or whatever and i'm like motherfucker i don't know if i consider that half of the state part of our state but with the cougs i do you know I'm what the really like, amazing thing is by the way the washington you'd have almost beat washington state amidst the eight game winning streak that was their Great. closest game before the uh, before the Arizona win was at Washington. Cool. All right, we don't have anything on UW football this week. Uh, in kind of this quiet period before spring practice gets going, uh, and not a lot of transacting college football at the moment. We did get the official announce of uh, EA Sports College Football uh, 2024 or 25. 
or whatever, which is a huge deal for the likes of me, who's still carrying around a PlayStation 3 just for the sole purpose of playing NCAA Football 14. A bigger news for baby fantasy genius, maybe babyest fantasy genius is Tay very excited to play with Georgia, I'm sure. Oh, the entire crew. Uh, yeah, so we're pretty excited about that one. But beyond that, not not that much else. <laughs> they 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 said that players. Did you see all the info about this? Players are getting six hundred dollars in a copy of the game to put yeah. their name in it, which I, that seems kind of great for most players. Yeah, and and I'm sure that there'll be players who don't do it, and long term that they will look back on it and just be like, "Fuck, I should have done that." Uh, we should I suppose talk about the combine which is going on this week. Uh, a number of Huskies are there. Many, many Huskies there. Michael Penix Jr., Dylan Johnson, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze, who will be running the 40, uh, and I think doing the drills. Jalen Polk, Devin Culp, Jack Westover, Troy Fautanu, Roger Rosengarten, uh, fresh off his strong senior bowl, Braylon Trice, San Tupola Fatui, Edifuan Ulfoshio, Dom Hampton. All these players are leaving? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're all they're all leaving. <laughs> cool. We're gonna have a lot of players <laughs> to follow in the draft. That'll be fun. That's the exciting part of this. <laughs> yeah. The Seattle Seahawks converted Geno Smith's nine point six million dollar roster bonus due March eighteenth into a signing bonus, spreading the cap hit over the next two years and reducing his two thousand twenty four cap number by four point eight million. Uh, that in conjunction with the cap coming in higher than expected enough to get the Seahawks under the cap before the deadline to do so at the start of the new league year. Obviously, they'll still want to create more cap space to uh, add players to the roster and be able to sign their draft picks and things of that nature. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting move. I like. I don't think it necessarily rules out a trade for Geno Smith because on the one hand, like now he becomes even more attractive as a trade option to other teams because... All they're paying him is that guaranteed salary for 2024. You know, he'd come in at a 12.7 million or whatever the number is hit for them, uh, which would increase the kind of draft compensation you could potentially get in return. I still don't think that's a likely scenario. Like, this does would increase the uh, the dead cap hit that accelerates to the Seahawks cap if they were to trade Geno Smith. I I still think this is a sign that Gino's coming back next year. Uh, Like, while it might make it more enticing for another team, the interest would still have to be there going in. It's not like, well, we we don't want Gino at this price or whatever, but we do at this price. If you're talking about a quarterback for one year versus a first-round draft pick or something like that, like, that money is just not a big enough deal. You have to really believe in Gino or feel like you're really ready. I mean... I think we're plausibly talking about a day two draft pick at that price point. But and I I don't I and we we talked about the market with Ben Baldwin. Yeah, There's I just, a lot of I think this is a sign that Gino is coming back next year, and the Seahawks view Gino Smith as the starting quarterback. That seems like the most likely outcome. Uh, the Seahawks also finalized their coaching staff last Thursday. In addition to everyone we've discussed in the past, a couple of new position coaches. Uh, defensive line coach Justin Hines, who spent the last two years as an assistant defensive line coach for the Bears, was in college ranks before that, rising to defensive co- coordinator and linebacker coach at Western Carolina. And notably, outside linebacker coach Chris Partridge 
who was at Michigan last year and was fired midseason amidst the investigation over the Wolverines stealing signs because he, quote, failed to abide by the university directive not to discuss an ongoing NCAA investigation with anyone associated with the Michigan football program or others, according to ESPN's Pete Thamel. I don't understand anything that you just said, but I, I side with Chris Partridge <laughs> in that situation. So it wasn't like he wasn't fired because of his role in the actual scandal, but because of, you know, attempts to uh, uh, handle the investigation. I think there was some additional reporting out there, but uh, Partridge did not overlap with Mike McDonald at Michigan. He was at that point uh, elsewhere, but was there before McDonald's one year in Ann Arbor and then returned last season to Michigan. So there you go. Cool. Probably the linchpin. That's the one. <laughs> That's the difference making coach. It's always the 21st coach that makes a difference. I I think the Seahawks are missing something on their staff. Correct me if I'm wrong here. That I think is actually pretty essential, particularly if they're going to be covered in hard knocks, uh, which is former NFL players that you can look at and be like, oh, that's what that person's doing now. There are not that many of those on this current Seahawks staff. And if you have that many coaches, I feel like you want to fill it with some former NFL players, like kind of a lot of former NFL players. So that when you see them, you have a little bit of name recognition in history. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be the Lions season where so many guys like that. So how many Seahawks did play in the coaches did play in the NFL? There's also degrees of playing in the NFL, not just playing. You have to be like, oh, I recognize that guy. Prisman Jackson, you know, played in the NFL. We recognize him, but it's still not that famous a name. Nick Perry was like on practice squads, maybe. We Nick Perry? Yeah. Not the Packers linebacker? No, the defensive back from Alabama. Okay. Yeah, spent time, signed with the Ravens following the 2015 no. draft and spent no. time with the Eagles mm-hmm. in 2016. No. Yeah. doesn't count. No, I agree. It's, it is an interesting thing. Former Seahawks, players who were like, not stars. Well, that, I mean, but, that's the big difference from last year is like you looked at the number of, you know, young assistants. So it was like, well, Tukuafo and so on and so forth. Well, uh, Josh Byrne, Josh Byens, who's a defensive assistant working with linebackers, uh, did enjoy a 12-year NFL career. Wow. Mostly in special teams, it seems like now it started 16 games in 2020 with the Bengals. There you go. Yeah, but I don't, I have no idea who this person is. So I'm going to say I, it doesn't count. Had you heard of Josh Bynes before this? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll say, I don't, I don't mean to say it's an indictment on the coaching staff in general. I'm sure they'll do a very good job, but that's the one piece that I did notice that I felt like this coaching staff was missing. The Seahawks can't be forced to be put on hard knocks. Because they've made the playoffs two years ago, or and yeah, they have a new head coach. So that's uh, that's also the rule. In season hard knocks, uh, also you're exempt if you have a new head coach. So unless Mike McDonald really wants to be on TV, the Seahawks will not be on hard knocks <laughs> this season. Maybe they'll build up some of those coaches for next year. Maybe this off season. They'll go out and get some of those coaches that we need to be on hard knocks the following season. And the producers will come to them with a list. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see. 
All right, anything else on the Seahawks? Anything else Trevor, on Kent Parks Trevor. and Recreation Baseball? No, you're mad at me for not having more content. No, I'm not mad at you. No, I'm, the shortest I'm glad ever to wrap it up quickly. We have well, to call it an emergency pod. <laughs> <laughs> With that, thanks for listening. Thanks. Good thing we have cookies. <laughs> We'd be talking about nothing. It'd be like Husky basketball. <laughs> <laughs>